Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Mike Stafford, the Portable Pastor, bringing you another teaching from God's Word. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. While you're turning there, let me remind you that there are some times in your life when you will want to go the extra mile and be uber prepared. I mean, what you do in preparation is going to greatly affect the outcome of some situations in your life. For example, if you're given a major presentation at work, if you slough off on the research, you could lose your job. If you're taking a if you're taking a final exam at school, ignoring studying the crucial information and and you're going to have to repeat the course. Look, if you're going on a vacation to a new spot, you're going to do your homework. You are. If you avoid the the fine print or if you miss a payment or or you're you know, you're not sending in the right paperwork, you could void your contract. Or like buying a new a new car. I mean, a used car, a used car. Failure to compare prices and and ignoring that that car facts is going to cause you to drive off in a in a piece of junk. There are definitely times when preparation will will be a key to success. The best example of this, of course, is is the preparation before a colonoscopy. <laughs> Preparation is integral to the success of that procedure. Let, let me explain. I had a colonoscopy a couple years ago, so I'm a I'm a professional. I can clearly tell you about it. A colonoscopy is a procedure, for those of you who don't know, where doctors duct tape a Polaroid camera to a 65-foot piece of air hose, and they run it up you to take pictures of your innards. Now, that's that's a layman's description. I don't think the word innards is found in any, any medical journals. And the path and the linings of, of said innards have to be clear for that sadistic instrument to take to take pictures. So, so the day before your procedure, you must perform what only can be explained as a intestinal exorcism. You got, <laughs> you must prepare for this by by eating a liquid diet for 24 hours and then you have to drink the go juice. That that go juice is what clears the pathway for the Polaroid camera. Now the go juice is a is a well, it's a satanic potion. I'm pretty convinced. It's concocted by by an evil man, a, probably a demon-possessed man. The go juice comes in a 55-gallon drum of liquid with a, a sticker that proudly displays the product name. In this case, it was Gentle Move. Let me tell you something. All demons are liars. Gentle Move is a completely misleading name at, at best. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Now, the go juice tastes like a perfectly balanced cocktail of of scabs, the appendix of a skunk, and the and the socks of a seventh grade soccer player. And to make it a little more palpable, they put a twist of lemon in the top of it. You you got to take that fifty five gallon drum of concentrated, not even ready, concentrated of evil, add it to lukewarm water to thin it out a bit, and you got to drink all one hundred and ten gallons of it in about twenty minutes. It's 
absolutely horrible, but not as horrible as the next scene. The scene that happens next, it, it cannot be adequately just, you know, described. It, it's never going to appear in a movie because the scene can't be rated by the Motion Picture Association of America. There, there's no mature classification high enough for this picture. It makes the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre look like Paw Patrol. Well, well, the label on the drum says a loose, watery movement may result. Let me tell you something. That's a bold face lie. What actually happens is best compared to... You know, the, the space shuttle taking off. You, you're going to wish that your toilet had a seatbelt. And after seven hours of complete agony, you think you're finally finished, you're cleared, you're ready to stand up and finally get some sleep to go to bed. But no, oh no, you have to drink the second barrel just to make sure. And at that point, I think my bowels traveled into the future and started eliminating food that I hadn't even eaten yet. That's the preparation for colonoscopy. And yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. But it is absolutely essential to the success of the procedure. And if you don't do it, they won't let you have the procedure. I use that vivid description to make a point, and quite possibly it might be my last point at FBC Clover. But the point is this. At, at big events of your life, you will, you will need to be uber prepared. Preparation for those major events is, will be an absolute essential, or, or you're not going to get through it successfully. The story that we're going to read today includes fasting as a possible preparation, you know, which now really doesn't seem that, that big of a deal. But, but let's, let's get to the text. All right, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and the worst tear is, ma the worst tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wine skins and so both are preserved. That's, that's some speech by Christ that seems a little cryptic, doesn't it? A, a little bit uh, like we have, to, uh, we have to figure it out and see what he's talking. Well, let's, let's talk about the points of that passage. Number one, the question of is fasting required or not is, is a really good question. I've heard there's no such thing as a bad question, and this is definitely not a bad question. If fasting is a requirement to be right with God, we, we, want, we want to know it. We want to know that, right? Luke's gospel teaches us that the disciples of the Pharisees asked this question, but Matthew's gospel teaches us that the disciples of John the Baptist asked this question. Well, since both are obviously true, both sets of disciples were there and wanted to know the answer. In fact, there were there were three different sets of disciples there. Disciples of the Pharisees, disciples of John the Baptist, and the disciples of Jesus. They were all there when this question was asked, and they all desired to know the answer. Now, I bet Jesus had to be careful with his answer. Because with all those people, a battle royale could have, could have broken out at any time. You see, the disciples of the Pharisees thought it was caused, well, it was a cause for their 
their earned righteousness. The Pharisees only fasted to show spiritual suffering for God. It, it was all in the show. But the disciples of John, however, they asked because they, they thought it was a part of their Christian duty to make them right with God. Some, some of us might identify with these disciples when it comes to fasting. But the disciples of Christ, you know, we, we weren't told what they were thinking. They were just probably following his lead, and, 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 and they didn't know. They probably didn't know either at that point. So it was a good question. The second point is Jesus answered the disciples. He answered all the disciples. Jesus let all who practice fasting know that they didn't really understand the practice of fasting. <laughs> the first thing he taught them in this answer was that fasting is inappropriate during times of celebration. You see, Jesus was here to set up his kingdom and to start his church. He compared the moment right then to a well-known and practiced uh, Jewish tradition. You see, a Jewish groom would visit the home of his fiance. He, he would pay a dowry, and then he would go back home. He'd go home for a while, sometimes for a year, so that he could prepare for his new wife's coming, and, and she could prepare for the move. And grooms and brides who were, who were in love, not all of them were, but those who were in love, they hated being apart during that length of time. After a certain time, when the groom was away, he would return, he would finally return, and there would be a week-long feast of celebration. The time had come for the wedding. Now, this was a tradition in Jesus's day, and he was instructing them using the thought of this tradition to teach them about fasting. So Jesus came and began his church, his, his bride. He gave his life as a dowry for it, and then he left, but he promised to return for his church, his bride, right? So we are in the waiting time between those two visits. We today are in the waiting time between those two visits. And that's what's described in this comparison. And it's hard and we don't like it, but, but he left to prepare a place for us according to the scriptures. And we are being prepared for his return as well. Now, the question about fasting was asked during the original meeting of the groom. And Jesus said when he left, there would be time for fasting and preparation, but not while he was there. They were celebrating the first visit, the presence of the groom, and fasting is never to be done during celebration. Next, Jesus told them that the new covenant truth can't be sown into the old covenant laws. Now put on your thinking cap for this one. This is deep, but it's important. Jesus reminded them that they couldn't take new unshrunk pieces of cloth and sew it onto a worn, stretched, and torn piece of cloth. After a while, when the new cloth began to shrink, it would rip the old cloth even more. So if they were preparing an old cloth, they would use an old patch. It was a, it was a perfect analogy to his point, because new covenant truth cannot be sewn into old covenant laws. See, the old covenant of God that, that he had with Israel was held intact by them attempting to live according to the law. There was no grace there yet. Now, if a person upheld the law as much as possible and trusted that God was going to send them a savior because of their complete inability to keep the law, then they could be saved because that was saved by faith. But only a few of them did that. Most were focused on keeping the law. Now, in the new covenant that Jesus was going to make with mankind, people would place their trust solely in the ability of Jesus to fulfill the law. 
and to die for sins not his own. So the new covenant had nothing to do with the law except that it was fulfilled by Christ. If you were to take the new covenant of grace and mercy and add it to the old covenant of law keeping, the, the two the, the new covenant would never would never last. Grace and mercy would shrink and eventually become become useless because of the competing focus on the law. So understand that the old covenant and the new covenant cannot coexist in the salvation of of a human. Either either you rely on works, which you will fail, or you'll rely on God's mercy, which will not fail. No amount of work, no amount of rule keeping in, in fasting or anything else, for that, for that matter, will ever be able to save someone. New covenant truth cannot be sold into old covenant or sown into old old covenant laws. So Jesus taught them that fact. And then he said, putting new covenant truth into old covenant law is actually doubly dangerous. New wine can't be put into old wineskins or both will be destroyed. That's what I mean by doubly dangerous. Listen to the commentary that I found about this verse. Animal skins were used for fermentation of wine because of their elasticity. As the wine fermented, pressure built up, stretching the wine skin, and and a previously stretched uh, skin lacked elasticity and, and would rupture ruining both wine and wineskin. Jesus uses this as an illustration to teach that the forms of the old rituals, such as ceremonial fastings practiced by the Pharisees and John's disciples, are not fit for the new wine of the new covenant. In both analogies, the Lord is saying that the Pharisees, what the Pharisees did in fasting and any other ritual, had no part with the gospel. And I highly agree with that, because if you put new wine into an old wine skin, the bag would burst. It would destroy the bag and you would lose the wine. It's doubly dangerous. Now, here's the main point of the passage that leads us right into the main point of the passage. Fasting has no part in salvation. He was he he came to seek and save the lost, right? Jesus, the groom, he showed up to formally set up a relationship between him and his church, the bride, us individually, and, and he did the work. He paid the dowry. He gave his life. He gave his word that he would save us. We just accepted the gift. We just believed in his word. That's all we did in our salvation. There, there is nothing you can physically do to be saved. There's no way to earn your salvation. We are saved by his grace when we place our faith in him. Jesus was making a very important point here. This was a transitional time between the old covenant and the new covenant. So fasting and, and any other works of the law cannot save you. Now, it'll help you. Fasting will help you in this period of sanctification, in this period between visits of Christ, but it's not going to save you. So the, I guess the question is, what what part does fasting play in a Christian's life? Well, I, I read in, in Matthew 4, uh, beginning in verse 1, and learned that Jesus was led into the tem- into the wilderness uh, to be tempted to be tempted by by Satan after his baptism. After fasting forty days, Satan came up to him and tempted him. 
This had to happen, by the way. It had to happen so that Jesus could identify with us and identify with our temptation to sin. But he fasted for 40 days to prepare him for this encounter. And after 40 days, he was prepared to endure the temptations of the devil. See, going through the fast, Jesus prayed that his will, his will, what he wanted, would be smaller than the will of God. Jesus prepared his will to rely on God instead of his own flesh. And in Matthew 4, we learned that fasting can help us prepare for what comes next. Well, how does how exactly does that work? Well, turn over to Acts chapter 13. I want you to see this. We're going to look at just the first three verses of Acts 13. And, and there, there might be multiple benefits of fasting. There probably is. But I just want to hit on the two biggest ones that are mentioned in Acts chapter 13. Number one, fasting prepares our ears to hear from God. Listen to Acts 13, 1 and 2. Now, there were in, in, in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, a, long line, a, long, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit, he spoke to the disciples, but he spoke to them after a period of fasting and worship. You see, fasting opened their ears to hear the Spirit completely and clearly. When we, when we take our minds off of our flesh and satisfying our flesh and feeding our flesh, we are freed up to have a greater focus on hearing God. So fasting, fasting prepares us to hear God. But number two, fasting also prepares us for ministry assignments. Look at the next verse, verse three. Then after fasting and praying, they did it again. They laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, the early church knew that committing someone to ministry was important. They they did this with prayer and fasting. And prayer tied prayer tied uh, Barnabas and Saul to the will and the protection of God. Fasting helped them to prepare what they were going to face, just like Jesus fasted to prepare himself for what he faced. Ministry has has really nothing to do with how we feel or what our, our flesh is going to gain. Ministry is about the Spirit using us to prepare the bride of Christ, not the gratification of our own flesh. So denying the flesh through fasting prepares us for denying ourselves in ministry. GotQuestions.org says this about fasting. By taking your eyes off the things of this world, like food, we can, we can more successfully turn our attention to Christ Fasting's not a way to get God to do what we want. Fasting changes us, not God. So how does it change us? Well, it prepares us. It prepares us to hear from God. It prepares us to minister for God. And so there's only one application in the story. Only one today. If we choose to fast, and I hope we will, we need to fast for preparation, not religion. Disciples of the Pharisees, disciples of John the Baptist, fasted for the sake of their religion. What was re- and what was their religion really? It was a failure. Remember from last week, religion is man's failed attempt to get to heaven. If a religious act is always a failed attempt, then fasting as a religious act is 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 really just a pointless act. Fast for preparation, not for religion. Fast and allow God to prepare your ears to hear what. 
what he wants to tell you, what he desires for you. And then when you hear that assignment fast to, to steal, to set your mind for ministry, strengthen your will by fasting, making it stronger than your body. That's, that's the point. Let me challenge you with this. Today, would you, if you're a Christian, would you commit to living a life preparing for the, the return of Christ, the groom of the church? Would you, would you drop the religious act for temporary personal gain? Would you, would you focus on the spiritual acts that prepare you and, and those in your sphere of influence for his return? You can commit to this change today. You can pray and ask God to help you to focus those acts, to focus those acts more on not on what we we earn or what we gain or trying to approve uh, prove ourselves, but to to accomplish them for the the glory of God, for the glory of God, and to practice these acts like fasting, to hear from God and to be used by God, to be prepared by God. You can do this today, Christian. If you're a non-Christian, would you see that your religious efforts are just not working? I mean, think about it. You you try these religious things, but then tomorrow you fall right back into that same sin, right? Would you rely once and for all on the efficiency, the, the sufficiency of Christ to save you and not your own works? You can do this today. I love to start an online conversation about any of those things. Feel free to email me at mike at fbcclover.com and, and we'll discuss them. Well, I hope you have a great day today. I hope that was beneficial to you. We'll come back next week for another teaching in God's Word. But until then, be blessed. And remember, if you're walking step with step with God, He is very much pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.